Hello, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Geek Night Inn. I'm your host, Laura, and this week we are doing a bonus episode to talk about Star Wars. Hooray! Woo! Star Wars! Yay! <laughs> now, I'm going to put this out before, I even, before I've even introduced who we've got. There are going to be spoilers. Do not listen to this if you want to go into Star Wars unspoiled. This is going to be a very, very spoilery discussion of this movie. So you have been warned. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. With that out of the way, um, I'm here this week with regular co-host Gemma. Hello. Gemma, how are you since the two minutes ago we last recorded a show? (laughs) Uh, a little bit more refreshed is that I just drank all the water I got for in between podcasts. That's almost like that's what's happened. Um, we also have two special guests with us this week. So special guest introduction time. Uh, Retta, hello. Hello. Who are you? I'm Loretta. I don't know what else to say for that. You, you watched a Star War. You, you yes. watched a Star War. I watched a Star War. And we also have Mia. Hello. Hello. Who, how are you? Who are you? What's up? <laughs> um... Yeah, I'm good. I, I'm a kind of a giant Star Wars nerd, so I'm more of <laughs> the uh, all expanded universe kind of fans. So, And yeah, we are all here. We've all watched uh, The Force Awakens. Uh, me, Mia and Retta all saw it at the UK Midnight launch. Gemma saw it yesterday, the day before recording this, so... Yeah, it's I saw all... it with my lightsaber clan. It was awesome. Very exciting. We all saw it very, <laughs> very recently, and... Yeah, where does anyone have anywhere they'd particularly like to start towards the beginning of the movie of anything they thought was like, I want to talk about these things? Or should I, do you want me to rattle off some plot things and be like, yeah. stop me when there's something you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah. I just want to start by yelling, oh my god, BB-8. <gasps> BB-8, BB-8. That was my main reaction. <laughs> well, BB-8's very early in the film, so we will get to BB-8 very soon. So uh, approximately 30 years after the destruction of the second Death Star, Luke Skywalker, the last remaining Jedi, has disappeared. Both the First Order, the successor to the Galactic Empire and the Resistance, the military force backed by the New Republic and led by Luke's twin sister, General Leia Organa, scour the galaxy and attempt to find him. Basically, Luke ran off. No one's quite sure why... Um, <laughs> And we oh, open yeah. on the planet of Jakku. Uh, there's a guy called Poe Dameron. He has BB-8, which is the most adorable thing in the universe. He's so cute. Oh my god. <laughs> BB-8 is the best. And BB-8 yeah. being a practical effect is my favourite thing. Yes. I, think, I feel like BB-8 was kind of what they attempted and failed to do with Jar Jar Binks. Mm, which he, was, here is a new mascot type character that evokes the feeling of kind of R2-D2 and 3PO. Without being annoying as mm. hell. And we, we were discussing this while we rewatched the original films a little while ago. The reason why bumbling R2-D2 in the prequels isn't annoying, but Jar Jar Binks is to many. I know that you slightly disagree, <laughs> Retta. And BB-8 isn't. Jar Jar Binks spoke actual English. When you take away that and have an endearing robot that's being a little bit bumbling, it's adorable. Yeah, and well, the thing with R2D2 is like Jar Jar. I think Jar Jar's just a little bit goofy. That's fine. You're allowed to be wrong. That's okay. <laughs> <Uh-oh. Unpopular opinion. laughs> because R2D2, well, R2D2 isn't bumbling, and it's actually quite sarcastic. Because if you go by like in the prequels, never forget he's bumbling in the prequels. He's mm, still better than C3PO. That that is true. <laughs> But that's not saying much, but and he does achieve some good things. And to be fair, like a lot of my headcanon for him has been overwritten by the feats he does in like the Clone Wars and um, yeah, most of the Clone Wars because he's just awesome in that. 
Yeah, so BB-8 is basically like the adorable R2-D2 analogue where you, like, we should probably get this off uh, out of the way very early. This film is the original trilogy in one film. Yeah. Because right off the bat, BB-8 is, this is the cute adorable droid that we are going to put the secret message into and send it off out into the (laughs) desert by itself to go find someone who can help deliver the message. Like, that is true, but that kind of undermines how adorable and wonderful yeah, BB-8. Yeah. I did feel like BB-8 wasn't just, hey, it's R2-D2 as a ball. Like, yeah, it, <laughs> it definitely had its own unique personality, which was particularly notable when you see R2 and BB-8 together. Yeah. Yes. But yes, uh, BB-8 is introduced alongside Poe Dameron, who is a pilot that doesn't have a huge amount to do with this film, but is incredibly memorable with his short definitely. amount of time. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's very amusing. It's definitely a very kind of charismatic character. Like, mm-hmm. Minutes of seeing this character running around, it's already like this is a likable kind of fun character. And he's he's very different to Han Solo because Han Solo was I am in this purely for the money. I am the pilot that does not care. I'm doing whatever. Whereas this was like the enigmatic pilot that's like, no, I believe in the cause, and I am like, yeah. you know, it's it's almost of... like sorry, could you no, go go. <laughs> it's almost like kind of the ideals of Leia that we see in the originals, like they're mm. kind of like, I believe in this, you know, rebellion. But in the pilot. Yeah, but the pilot and kind of Han Solo's kind of <laughs> cockiness and kind of confidence. It's a yeah. really nice blend of like positive, non-sarcastic, like non-down and miserable character traits. It's very yeah. positive character traits he yeah, has. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, he puts the, the, the thing in the, in the droid and the droid goes off and he's like, come find me later. And, it's adorable that the droid loves him, but uh, at this point, all hell breaks loose on Jakku, and every yeah. like all the stormtroopers come down, and um, uh, what's the villain's name? I've forgotten. Kylo Ren. Kylo, Kylo Ren. Ren. Kylo Ren turns up. All the stormtroopers turn up. Everything goes a bit bad, and I want to talk a little bit here about. I think one of the most powerful scenes this film does humanizing a stormtrooper. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. Because. You're like five minutes into this film, it's like, oh, here is a stormtrooper seeing the horrors of war for the first time. (laughs) How good is the acting that with a full helmet on, full body armor, we can see through body armor? You can see him trembling with fear. You can see his like indecision and his hesitance to to fight. Because like everyone else Uh, is like, okay, we'll do exactly what we're told, and immediately he's kind of like, oh, I don't quite uh, like this. It's it's a little dark, but that shot very near the beginning where like his dying friend smears blood yeah. over his stormtrooper yeah. helmet. I'm just like, yeah. Oh. It's usually kind of a thing so that you can spot which stormtrooper it is amongst the mass, of course. It but very, it's a really dark way to do really it. It's a smart move though, yeah. visually, yeah. to like this is the stormtrooper that you can see. Keep an eye on him. He's shaking and he doesn't want to fight. <laughs> I like the symbology of it as well. He's literally marked by the war. Yeah. yeah. Oh goodness. So uh, that is our introduction to Ray. We don't yet know that uh, he goes by some name, uh, FN two one eight seven, who I think has a really like a far more interesting arc than I imagined he was going to. Like initially yeah. seeing the idea of stormtrooper who leaves, I was like, oh whatever. And then you basically see it's like this is not the first time this has happened with stormtroopers. The stormtroopers allegedly have like a reprogramming program for stormtroopers who go AWOL and this is a stormtrooper who at age 20 it's his first time being put out on the battlefield and he goes oh crap I can't do this his gun's gonna get 
looked at and they're gonna know he didn't shoot anyone yeah. and he's like screw it i'm out and he runs <laughs> and ah oh, yeah thoughts on this yeah it's- i I think Sorry. it's faintly because, um, I mean, this is very much reading in between the lines a bit, but I think it happens because he's force sensitive on some level. I, I know we had that I a little that bit. Well. Yeah. We he had it a little bit in the like trailers. I feel sense the pain of those around him when everyone's getting slaughtered. Well, as well <laughs> as kind I, of later on, there, I mean, we'll get to it, but later on I feel that there is a hint that he's force sensitive. But when Kylo Ren stops... And looks directly at Finn. Yeah. It's like, is he, is he well. detecting him in the force? Mm. Is that why he looks? Plus, he's semi decent with a lightsaber. Let's well, not like <laughs> yeah, yeah. write that down. That's kind of what I wanted to get to. But yeah, the, yeah. Well, they seem to just well. kind of pick it up so easily well, as well. You, with you the never lightsaber. know. Maybe he had one of those lightning sticks that the stormtroopers had. Yeah. yeah, that we did discuss this because um, actually a friend of mine who's now seen the film five times, he's a member of the 501st Legion. <laughs> um, so he's been Darth Vader at most of these showings uh, in Sweden, at least. He has pointed out that actually the stormtroopers by that point were being trained in uh, those force batons and all sorts of things. So theoretically, he should know how to hold a lightsaber. I mean, he yes. wouldn't be utterly proficient at it. Um, well, well I think that is probably the canon explanation. I like to believe it's because he's yeah. force sensitive. Like that's what I want to believe. Well, the main thing I get for the the main reason I think he's force sensitive is the speed with which he picks up other things like the blasters in inside the Tie Fighter. Yes, he, he, the he's... natural proclivity towards uh, fighter reflexes is a Jedi trait. Yeah. So putting this like going a little bit past this. Uh, Finn needs to get off this ship and he basically frees Poe Dameron in order to have a pilot to get off the ship <laughs> with. And I think that like this was the moment where I was really struck by how funny The Force Awakens is. It's when you stick Poe Dameron and Finn in a spaceship yeah. and they're basically having like fast-paced comedy back and forth that doesn't feel forced. Yeah. Yeah. After such a dark opening as well, mm. to then all of a sudden have these kind of jokes going off. It and definitely made me think like, oh, this is a funnier movie. And than it I didn't feel out of context. It was no, just... That's, that's one of the most impressive yeah. things, I think, about the whole film, mm. is that when the tone changes, it does feel very natural. It never actually feels yeah. kind of forced. No pun intended. <laughs> so I was really impressed off the bat that I was like, oh, they're not afraid to do comedy and they're doing it well. That's impressive. Yeah. Uh, they crash on Jakku and it seems pretty... Uh, pretty much like Poe's dead, Finn's wearing his jacket, and BB-8 at this point has found um, Ray, who we should probably talk about the introduction of Ray yeah. here. Ray is my favourite, and I love her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why, why do we love Ray? Because she's capable, she's a, a female lead, and all this sort of thing. She, uh, Which is the, unfortunate, but like true. <laughs> like, yeah, like, we have really, a female but, lead to look up to. <laughs> Weirdly, the first thing that I thought about when Ray was on screen is how much she reminds me of the latter half of episode two, Padme, where she's strong, okay. she's capable, she's being very sort of like forceful and controlling in situations. She's doing things that other people in that situation can't get, like can't do. She's mm. very savvy about the situation around her. And I'm really sad that like that characterization of Padme was such a short-lived thing very mm. briefly in two, yeah. in that like, this felt like what Padme had the potential for just a few minutes to have been fleshed out into the full lead of a of a film. Yeah. Where like she's 
she's getting by sort of a little bit, not quite as well as she possibly could, but she knows what she wants. She knows what she's working for. She's very ideals driven and she's badass. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I think where Ray differs from Padme, I mean, it's kind of a side point as well, is that Padme was depicted as being quite young in the original films and Mm. she's been raised through politics and all this area of responsibility. We contrast that with Ray, who for, for me, the defining moment is she is clearly capable of the quarter staff and really kicks ass with it. Yeah. But there's oh, that moment where she gets her food, sits down in front of her, like, crashed uh, AT-AT home and puts on a fighter helmet and just for a moment <laughs> pretends to be flying a starfighter. Oh. Yeah. Now, see, the moment for me, also very close to the beginning, uh, that I was like, this is, she is really capable, is that moment where um, she's distracted and uh, those two tri- people try and take BB-8 and Finn's turning up at this point and Ray's like, no, I don't need your help. And she single-handedly beats off both the people yeah. trying to steal the thing. <laughs> yeah. And then sees sees that like Finn is in the situation and getting back to Finn, BB-8 is like, you're wearing my master's jacket. And Ray is like, no, okay, I've just beaten up two people. I will chase you down, yeah. whoever you are. <laughs> I will believe the droid and beat you down. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, basically they... Finn at this point lies, says he's with the resistance because he's like, I stole the dead guy's jacket. Um, I'm probably safest sticking with you because you're pretty good with the staff. Yeah, sure. Who, whatever. <laughs> and they steal the Millennium Falcon. I did not expect to see the Millennium Falcon first flown without Han. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely... And the introduction was so good. <laughs> it's, so good. <laughs> it, it's so weird that like looking back at the trailers now, the big iconic uh, like Millennium Falcon shots we got in the trailers were all um, Ray. Yeah, Han is not even inside. Han isn't even in the ship. <laughs> um, so they fly off and they're trying to find the uh, they're trying to find the rebel base. BB-8 knows that something's up with Finn, but it's like you know it's in both our best interest <laughs> yeah. to keep quiet. Fine, I'll tell you where the rebel base is. Um, the resistance. Sorry, not the rebel base. What are we on about them? The original trilogy, and they stop somewhere briefly because they're, like, sucked into a thing. And basically, Han Solo has refound the Falcon. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on Han Solo? I don't know if you all agree with me, but Harrison Ford put in a bloody good performance with this film, considering he didn't want to be involved in Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. I think, honestly, I think Han is probably the most memorable character in the entire film, which is saying something, but I feel like his charisma and every mm. scene that he's in, like, the humour, and he just... Mm. Like, and- that's that's not just by virtue of him being in the scenes. Like, I feel like this is the best performance of Han Solo he has given. Yeah. Like, it's not just Han Solo again. It is Han Solo who has gone through 30 years of additional stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think that's mm. one of the things that I really like is that you can see the character evolution from Han in the original three yeah. to Han where he is now. Mm. He believes in the Force. He knows it exists. Oh, like... Gemma, you predicted this in the trailers. Because you uh, talked about there is a line in the trailers where Han says, it's true, all of it. And Gemma was like, I think that's about him believing in the Force. And what? yeah, Han believes in the Force, but he's still a swindler who is like tearing the galaxy apart by lying to everyone. Yeah. And I'm so glad of that because I was hoping he wouldn't be like some sort of humbled character. Because I feel like a lot of the times when a character gets picked up years later, they're somehow more humble. But no, yeah, he's, he's definitely still Han Solo. He's yeah. Some of the rough edges are worn off. But, but he still has yeah. a lot of them. And it, it's implied as well that he didn't always, 
like re- retain those rough edges like he was a family man for a while yeah. yeah it seems to imply that there's this kind of middle period where the where um, Han and Leia kind of made a go of having kids and having yeah, a family yeah. and their, their child <laughs> ran away and became a Sith and basically they were like oh yeah this relationship's falling <laughs> apart and Han basically was like what am I good at let's go back to doing what I know how to do Yeah, like, I think that the- might have something to do with the fact that conflict has started up again because they were able to settle down when basically the Republic was taken back into the hands of decent people. But now that the First Order is kicking around, basically they all kind of have to fall back into their previous roles. And they make mention of this in regards to Leia because they point out that she's gone from princess to general. (gasps) I am so happy with her portrayal here as General Leia. (laughs) Because if you watch the original trilogy, she's really good at being a strategist. She knows what she's doing and she takes control of so many situations yeah. well everyone Absolutely. trusts her as well in the yeah. original trilogy when she starts like barking out her orders everyone's yeah. kind of like yes like, i agree when, let's go do when this they're, when they're first escaping there is this moment where she's like oh, you too and she like she is the one controlling the situation Absolutely. and telling her what yeah. to do and i'm really glad that we got to see that sort of like take its natural evolution. Yeah. Mm. But uh yeah so basically our original group meets up with han and i'm really I'm really glad that like Han didn't steal the show, but he was like very much, he did a very sensible handover of this is the new cast. I'm going to interact with them. I'm going to push them in the right direction, but this is still their story. Yeah. Yeah. It it did feel like they were a team. Mm. Less so than here is Han and oh, here is Cyclops. Yeah, here are the minions of Han. <laughs> yeah. I thought that, like, when he appeared with the like main cast, I was kind of like, I hope he doesn't overshadow them and suddenly it's mm. all about Han. Yeah. But it, it the, did it very, very well, I think. I think it's all the more impressive for the fact that uh, Ray and Finn literally fan squee over him. Yeah. In the film. <laughs> oh, wow, you're Han Solo. Yes, like you're the Han Solo. Oh, goodness, yeah. Um, and then, sort of from there, they, the first stop that uh, everyone makes is on a basically a planet that is the, um, the Cantina Bar. Yeah. It's basically the Cantina Bar that they turn up to. And they go to get some advice from sage old lady alien that knows what she's doing with the universe. (laughs) And basically, like, they go there ostensibly to get a different ship that's not the Falcon, so they're not going to be tracked quite so easily. What ends up happening is that Rey is drawn into the basement, where she finds a lightsaber. Can I just briefly say that... During that scene where BB-8 goes down the stairs, <gasps> it's yes! Oh my god, BB-8 is a rolling thing that like <laughs> wobbles itself one yep. stair at a time down. I'm like, that is a practical effect where you probably would have like been easier skipping <laughs> walking downstairs. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, well, if BB-8 I can back... doesn't need to be downstairs. Yeah, well, I think it's another reason why BB-8 is so good is that he's more of an animal than a human yeah. character. Yeah. So seeing him go down the stairs it's almost kind of like you know he, you watch like a dog go yeah. down the stairs it's like I don't time. know how to do this but I'll work it yeah, out like, I'll, I'll figure it out I can't quite do this this isn't made for me but... <laughs> I don't mm. know how I'd get back up the stairs though yeah. <laughs> uh, probably could be carried <laughs> but actually if I could backtrack a little bit oh, just yeah, to, yeah, bit yeah, between sure. um, when they're, they're flying around in the, uh, the Falcon um, actually no it's just before they leave the uh, salvage depot thing basically with the, the encounter with the gangs I loved the fact that there was a, a guy there with a Scottish accent. Oh, yes. space Scottishman. <laughs> but also like a bunch of people who seem to be speaking Chinese. And I, I don't, uh, that could be a massive generalization because I actually I, don't know Chinese. 
I don't think it is Chinese, but it certainly like was intended to sound like Chinese in the English yeah, language it, release. Yeah. It did sound it was like it, it wasn't. Chi- it, it was space Chinese. Yeah, like yeah. the thing I noticed is I was like, okay, that's not Huttese. Like yes. we, we know how yeah. Huttese sounds. That's the the main kind of inverted commas alien language you know yeah. that we hear in Star Wars. And I was like, okay, so they're trying to tell us this is a different culture from you know the Huttese. Yes, one that the, sounds like it's English. from. Earth China. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. But yeah, um, sort of getting back onto the the cantina planet, Finn, uh, sorry, Ray touches Luke's lightsaber and starts getting a bunch of flashbacks, and we get the hint that maybe Ray is someone whose memory has been repressed for some reason, and we're going to find that out in eight or nine, probably. Did any of you see the article today that revealed that in that scene, both Yoda and Obi-Wan's voices are heard? Yes, I saw this. Oh. And it's very interesting. I don't I don't know quite what to make of it yet. <laughs> yeah, I have like, to rewatch. Apparently, Obi-Wan actually addresses Rey by name yeah. in that scene. I'm, I'm very curious if what we're going to get is Force Ghosts. Yeah, I'm thinking, are we going to get kind of Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Force Ghost in the next yeah. episode? I, I, I kind of hope so. I kind <laughs> of hope we get old Ewan McGregor as a Force Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> I'm up for any Force yeah. Ghosts appearing, I'm up for that. So, <laughs> Ray gets her lightsaber and she freaks the hell out. She's like, nope, don't want anything to do with this. I am not a space hero. Nope, 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 nope. I'm going back to <laughs> going back to Jakku and waiting for my family who I'm pretty sure will never come back. And uh, she runs off and like the there is a moment where the the uh, space alien tries to teach her about the force and she's like nope not having yeah, it yeah it's just like I don't want anything she, to do with she that she has thanks. the Han Solo response yeah. yeah see one thing I actually thought about this when I was watching it in the cinema is like well the original Star Wars borrowed a lot from the monomyth mm. which is you know the idea of the hero's journey where there's I can't remember how many steps there are but yeah. the idea is that it's like you know they start out as a young hero and they don't have any powers etc and one of the important steps of the monument. Uh, George Lucas has gone on record as yes, he used the hero's journey for Star Wars. Um, but one of the steps of it is that the hero rejects power and yes. like, rejects going on the journey and mm. then comes back around. So I thought, is is this meant to be like raise the hero and this is her moment of I don't want this, I don't want this quest. Yeah, and it's an understandable one because she's just had her world slightly turned upside down yeah. and she's like, nope, I just want to salvage and stick around on Jakku and wait yeah, for my I, parents. I just thought that was really interesting because it's the mm. opposite of Luke. Like yeah. Luke is very, you know, there's a scene with Luke being like, you know, oh, I want to go to the Academy this year. And yeah. it's like, he know. wants to go on an adventure, but not the adventure that's in front of him until his parents are dead. Yeah, yeah. But, um, in the lack of being able to give it to her, the lightsaber is given to Finn to hold on to. Yeah. And this is like, we've seen shots in trailers of this, Finn wielding the lightsaber, and it's very much clear it's not his, he is using it for the time being. He's going to give it to Rey at some point, and he does mm. a remarkably good job, like, fighting off stormtroopers when they turn up here to be like, nope, back off, I have a laser sword, I feel yeah. cool. Yeah. Mm. Oh, sorry to stop us dead in our tracks here. We missed a character earlier, and it's understandable we missed this character, um, Phasma. Oh, yes, uh, Phasma, who is badass and awesome and does nothing in this film. Yeah, yeah. but it's still everything I expected from Gwendolyn Christie because 
the presence she has. I mean, I love the fact you could also tell it's Gwendolyn Christie, like just yes. from her stature and her uh, she, she, poise and things. Yeah, she did. She did a fantastic job with the role that she had, but it feels like either scenes were cut out from this film, or she is being set up for eight and and nine. Um, yeah. Because, like, mm-hmm. the only interesting thing that we really skipped over is her presence um, as a female, like, leader of an army, um, particularly when it comes down to her sort of, like, do what you're told to Finn, being like, look, do this, what's wrong with you? She has a very commanding presence in the very brief bit she is in at the beginning, and we'll mm-hmm. we'll get back to her later, but I think, like, but as tiny as her role was, she was very imposing and very, very much an empower uh, like, an, an impressive presence while she was there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's significant that she never took her helmet off. Yes. Because yes. mm. especially given in that scene, Finn literally did. So yes, we actually see, oh yeah, that's a like, human no, under you there. don't take your helmet yeah. off. Who yeah. Did I give you permission to take your, te- your helmet off? Mm. And we, we never see any of the other stormtroopers. Yeah. We don't and know what they look like underneath. I, I feel like it's a hangover from the clone era where even though they're no longer the set, like all clones of one person, the idea of the stormtroopers is still take them while they're young and treat them like they are. They don't have a personality. You don't have a name. You don't take your helmet off. You are one of the faceless crowd. You are not an individual. Yeah. Mm. And it's very important, I think, in that regard that she that Phasma never does take her helmet off. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, back to where we were. All hell's breaking loose on um, the Cantina planet, and. Ray is basically trying to run away with BB-8. And then she realises, oh, the Starkiller base, which is basically the uh, the new Death Star. I just watched that blow up a planet. Oh, no, I'm st- I'm involved in this now, won't I? <laughs> the, the planet bit was possibly one of the most shocking things I'd seen in the film because mm-hmm. Coruscant has blown up. Yeah, the, this is. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's Coruscant or not. I came out of the cinema... Thinking, I, mean, yeah. I believe they blew it up. Uh, let oh. me let me check the uh, the plot summary that's in front of me to see whether, uh... like, literally an hour before recording this, I was looking up on the internet. Was that Coruscant that was destroyed? Uh, the Starkiller base prepares to fire on Dakar, which I believe is a system. I do not know if Coruscant is in that system. I saw some people saying that the New Republic Senate is not based on Coruscant. Uh, okay well regardless it is the big planet where like the new political like center of political operations is yeah gets blown up like it's not just because like in in the originals when the death star blows up um leia's home world it's like well we know that she was a princess of there we don't really know anything else about its importance yeah how much oh sorry yeah no go how much kind of difference did you have with that, with that scene? Because Alderaan is destroyed, but we literally never see the surface of Alderaan and, in A New Hope. Yeah, we see people in, panicking. In this, yeah. we see people mm. watching the beam come and they can do nothing and they scream and the planet goes. And that's a really dark way to show them. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's quite horrifying mm. when you're watching it. It's just, yeah. It is the... Uh, I could hear a sound as if millions of voices were crying out at once. We actually literally see that. Yeah. Rather than yeah. just having Ben Kenobi m- mumble it. um yeah yeah so goodness yeah it's it's, yeah i'm sort of going around in circles here i think it's around this point hosnian prime okay that's what was blown up 
Um, the EU Republic has its headquarters on a rotating number of systems. So, okay. Yeah, so, oh, okay. yeah. Um, so a couple of, of bits that we've sort of... Um, uh, I'm just double-checking. I will edit around this. I'm just trying to make sure we haven't missed anything. Um, yeah. Yeah, so one thing that we have kind of moved past in order in the chronology of the film that we need to come back to a little bit is the first look that we get at our villains on their own base. And we get the introduction of, of uh, General Snokes and Kylo Ren. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of what we see of early Kylo Ren in the film is him basically throwing toddler temper tantrums <laughs> yeah. in the politest oh, yes. way possible. Yeah. Like he's he's a powerful, incre- like an incredibly powerful imposing force very early on. Like he is force pulling people to him from across mm. the room and like he is very, very powerful right off the bat. But equally when he doesn't get his way and it's like the BB-8 droid got away, the BB-8 droid got away again, the stormtrooper that like helped Poe Dameron get away, that stormtrooper got away again. Every time we see that, Kylo Ren's response is to grab his lightsaber and just whack at yeah. stuff and to yeah. slice things open and to just basically to show off his power and to be like, I could like you could you lot couldn't get this person. Do you not understand how powerful I am and that you should fear me and do this? Yeah, because yeah. like clearly Kylo Ren is meant to be like the Darth Vader of the film. Yeah. But, like what a kind of massive just juxtaposition between yeah. Vader like I'm thinking back to Empire Strikes Back at the end when the Millennium Falcon gets away, Vader's reaction is kind of just to turn away and walk off the bridge. Yes. Kylo Ren's reaction and to having to go to smash console to pieces. When when Kylo uh, when Darth Vader was angry and used his power, it was very controlled, very direct against specific people. It was like, you as an individual have failed me. I will mm. force choke you and I will punish you to make an example of you. Mm. Whereas Kylo Ren, like, is is a less direct, like, more scattershot anger. Yeah. Where he's just thrashing around with anger, uncontrolled, just wanting to get his anger out. Um, it really is kind of like a childish, like, way of dealing with things. Because, like, if something doesn't go his way, he takes it out on everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that's very telling. So... Basically, the we also sort of around this time get the information from like his discussion with Snokes. We get a few interesting things. There's the big one, which we'll get to in a second. Um, Kylo Ren is afraid of being tempted back by the light side of the Force. And I think that's really interesting as a character development for a Sith. Yeah, I, I can't recall any time in Star Wars lore where mm. the character has said, you know, kind of in distraught... I am being tempted by the light. Yeah. Please help and me stand up. I, I feel like it's a much more uh, subtle way of doing what the prequels tried in a very ha- heavy-handed way to do in episode three. And it's that moment where Anakin Skywalker screams, but from my perspective, the Jedi are evil. And it's basically the nuanced version of that. It's the moment of, look, the dark side of the force is not inherently evil. I've been like, I genuinely believe that this is the side of the force that we should be like working towards. The light side is the temptation. It's the, it's the thing that like, it's very interesting drawing like the parallels of um, like the sins that are drawn where it's like, I am being tempted by sins. I know I should not do this, but I'm being tempted. And Mm. very interesting to see that kind of conflict 
in someone's belief in the dark side, not just the dark side are evil because they're space Nazis. Yes. Even if there was a pretty big speech given in that film that looked like they were that space was a, Nazis. Yeah. Very Nazi. <laughs> that that guy that. from Ex Machina who stands up and does his very like, we are about to like commit genocide. <laughs> Let's do our Nazi speech. And I think they might even do the Nazi salute if yeah. I'm right. Yeah, they, they all kind of put. They, their they all in do there. the one armed straight, straight one armed salute upwards. That's very reminiscent yeah, of the Nazi the salute. The red yeah. banners as well. Yeah, behind yeah. Very it's clearly meant to be Nazi iconography, but I'm glad that like there's more depth to Kylo Ren's belief Absolutely, than yeah. just I'm a space Nazi. It, yeah. it seems. Like, it seems to me that Kylo Ren seems to have logically decided the dark side is the better way to do this. Yes. While, mm. like, Anakin, for instance, when he, Anakin goes to the dark side, it's less logic and more emotion and yeah. kind of an emotional need. Like, there is some emotion involved with Kylo Ren, but there's also a lot of, like, uh, like putting my emotions aside, I believe that this is the logical thing to do. Yeah, that was my takeaway from, mm-hmm. from his whole line about you know being tempted to the light. It was yeah. like, yeah. I know the light is wrong, but my feelings are telling me otherwise. It's really yeah. odd, though, because it, it makes it seem like he's not suited to be a Sith rather than well, a Jedi, because yeah. the Jedi think really logically, and it's like, if anything happens, it's like, right, we must process this information so we can kind of carry on it's, and stay yeah, calm. It is very interesting seeing him take that Jedi mentality toward the Sith set of yeah. powers and beliefs. Um, and I guess the other thing we get in this, which is like the big thing, is very offhandedly, just Snokes is like, your father, Han Solo. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what? What? <laughs> what, so, what a casual yeah. way to reveal something. Like everybody in the cinema was like, oh, oh, it's okay. Like, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> and it's sort of very quickly revealed, like, hey, this is what was going on, is that um, Han Solo and Leia had a kid. Uh, The kid was clearly Force-sensitive, so Luke took the kid along with a bunch of other Force-sensitive kids to train them. Mm. Uh, Kylo Ren just, like, went Sith, and because we don't see any of the other Sith kids, I'm, uh, the Jedi kids, I'm assuming now, just headcanon, Kylo Ren just murdered them all. You would think so. Like, at the very least, like, he fought his way out of there and did not leave (laughs) calmly. And mm. that's why Luke's missing, because Luke was like, oh shit, I accidentally trained up the next badass Sith. So, oh, the God. Scene, so, jumping back a bit, the scene where Rey has the vision, um, and we kind of see what is obviously Luke with the hood up and the metal hand. Mm, yeah. So, am I right in thinking that in that scene we see Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren? We appear to, yes. Yeah, so I'm thinking, okay, so, and this is just assumption, did Kylo Ren kind of be trained as a Jedi, leave, and, and come back with these Knights of Ren and then wipe the Jedi out. That's possible. Whatever happened, we know that Kylo Ren turning to the dark side was a big part of Luke feeling like he had failed and his yeah. eventual uh, departure. And, like, I am I am the last, like, trained-up Jedi, is the sense I get. Like, I am the last trained-up Jedi. I am sequestering myself from everyone because if I die, we're fucked. So, like, mm. let's wait until there's another Jedi that's powerful enough to find me, because then I can risk communicating with people again. Until then, I am off. I do wonder if guilt plays a part as well. Yeah. The yeah. idea of, if I try to, tra- you know, I tried to train people, I screwed up, everyone died, I don't want to try again. I, I initially felt that way until how happy he seems at the end to see Rey. Oh. Where I'm like, you don't seem upset that Rey's found you, you seem like you're ready to train her. But we'll we'll get there. Yeah, we will. It's just um, relieved at that point. It's like, oh thank God. Yeah. So at this point, we uh, 
everyone ends up heading off to the the rebel base and we've like we get to see um han and leia interact with each other Mm. and i think it's really interesting watching their portrayal of a divorced couple yeah Yeah. because like it is very much like hey look don't hate you we didn't work out we both know why we didn't work out and this is the scene where you get a lot of very ham-fisted potentially like your um, our son our son our son our, our son happens <laughs> i know some people are bothered by that for me it's like i i think that the whole point of that was um leia is trying to remind han like this is our son like it doesn't matter that luke couldn't get him to the light side you have this bond he is your son and i mm-hmm. feel like that's why it's like relevant to call him our son rather than ben yeah. Even though, like, it's probably just mechanically there to avoid the reveal of yeah, him being named after yeah. Ben, but I thought it was thematic. <laughs> it, it isn't anything that I picked up on as, as mm. kind of noticed. Like, I noticed a few people have said that it, it felt very forced. It's one of those things where it's like, looking back on it, I'm thinking, okay, I, they wrote can, the script yeah. to not mention the name to save the name, but... but I think, I think it works. I in, felt in it worked way. just in terms of, like, the whole point of that scene is Leia trying to remind Han... You are his father. He is your son. Like, Luke couldn't save him, but you saw what Luke did with with Vader. The reason there is it was, this is the father-son bond you two can get. You can, like, communicate in a way that Mm. Luke couldn't with our son. Mm. Um, I didn't even notice, because it it felt totally natural for that reason. As we left the cinema, and I was like, oh, I get where you're coming from. I disagree. Um, So... The Star Killer base. Uh, sorry, I'm just giving a second to check. We've not missed anything. So one thing that I thought was kind of cool is that with the Resistance base, I liked how well how busy it looked, and also how they kind of snuck some cameos in there. Like Akbar is there and has like what like two. Oh lines? goodness, yeah, yeah. Akbar. Um, it, it's a trap. Yeah. Indeed, yeah, look, he's there in the base. Uh, nice one, um, Carrie. Carrie Fisher, her daughter. Is in that scene. Oh, okay. She's just that's one cool. of the people working in the background on one of the whiteboards. I'm mm. like, oh, that's that's sweet. I also liked the diversity of the people in there. Mm. I mean, it's yes. it wasn't so much that it looked like here is a Benetton ad kind of thing, but there was actually a genuine like racial and gender diversity in there, which felt yeah. nice. And that's something which has gone throughout the whole film, I think. Mm. Yeah. You're very different from the meeting room in a New Hope, which is like here is a room full of white men wearing the same uniform. <laughs> yeah. Or like, oh, we have diversity, but everyone else is aliens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was really, human diversity. It was really nice to see. Also, the the fight that we kind of skimmed over when uh, all of the evil people have tracked down BB-8 and they're turning up to the planet. Really nice to see a big, huge battle that's not CG. Mm. Like so many like people in Chew- in um I was going to say in Chewbacca outfits in Wookie <laughs> outfits. So so many people in their Wookie outfits and. The the use of like physical people in that battlefield and the sheer scope of like trained actors doing their thing yeah. really helped that scene work well. Um, um so at this point Ray is captured, um she's taken to the Star Killer base, her lightsaber's taken, uh Kylo Ren's trying to get the map Oh god, the scene where Kylo Ren's trying to take the map out of um oh. Ray's mind. Yeah, uh, so serious Jessica Jones vibes. Uh, this is this is the same Disney that bought Marvel, <laughs> um, and this is the first time we really see like Ray post having picked up this lightsaber 
having some moments with the Force. Mm. Um, Kylo Ren takes his helmet off and looks her in the eyes. And for me, this was a really big moment about Kylo Ren in that his head looks way too small when he takes his helmet off. And yeah. I've I've talked about this with you before, mm. haven't I? I think that that is a deliberate choice. His suit is way too big and bulky for him. He He's a scared little child who is wearing this huge impul- like um, hulking suit to try and be imposing. He wants to be seen as powerful, even though inside he's just this tiny little child that's like, No, I'm powerful! <laughs> Yeah, like, I've seen some people say that that was the moment that turned them off Kylo Ren. Mm. But conversely, I was like, oh, this is such an interesting direction to go. No, he's not Darth Vader. He's not the big intimidating kind of, you know, warrior in black. He's kind of just a kid underneath. He he is a kid who's trying to, like, ignore that he's scared and be like, no, I'm powerful. I'm not scared. No. (laughs) And I really like that. It kind of reminds me of like a kid playing dress up when he takes the helmet off. Yeah, yeah. well, he, that's kind of what it is. Like he clearly idolizes he's, Vader. He wants to be Vader. He's yeah. he's the kid trying to wear his granddad's clothes. Yeah, yeah. he's trying to wear his granddad's clothes, and they're a bit too big for him. But um, yeah, so the big whole point of this scene is like um, Kylo Ren talks about the fact that he's like, you should tell me where, like, just tell me what, like, show me the map. Because I can take it from you. Mm. I can take it. Why don't you just tell me? And she's like, no. And he gets terrified because he tries to take it. And she's she's like, no, you will never get this information from me. Yeah. And he's visibly terrified. He's yeah. like, this is not how it's meant to work. I'm meant to get what I want. I am powerful. Don't you also think mm. it shows like some of the light side, though, by the fact he's like, tell me first? Right. Yeah. If it was Vader, I have the feeling that Vader would just kind of go, "No, I'm going to take it anyway." Mm. Yeah, send in the interrogation. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, it's Vader would do what he does in the beginning of Episode Four: force choke someone, hold them up, and ask and tell me where are the plans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas here, he's like, "I'm going to give you a chance before I start using my force on you." You want to tell me? Yeah. Nope. Okay. <laughs> With his hand, but ah, oh, Gemma, thoughts. Um. Hmm. I don't think I've thought too much. Actually, I had this weird thing where I got slightly distracted because Adam Driver, the actor, reminds me a lot of whoever it is played Frank in Donnie Darko. Oh. And I, and I think that's... it's not the same guy. No, but, but that is interesting. But I had a similar I'm not going to be able to that, see that now. Given that Kylo Ren's voice is also very resonant and has that similar sort of kind of creepy quality to it. And I, I don't think I really got the whole, like, too, uh, his suit's too big kind of thing. But I thought it's significant that later on he does, like, he, he keeps ditching the helmet and mm. uh, in the encounter with Han, he literally drops it clunk on the floor. Um, yeah. yeah like, I, I feel like he's trying very hard to emulate Vader because, like, when he's looking at the burnt Vader helmet early on, he talks mm. about this whole thing of, like, I will live up, live up to your legacy. We will finish what you started. He definitely idolizes Vader. And I feel like the helmet is, he is trying to complete that sort of, like, that image and that iconic intimidation that Vader had. Yeah. Even if he knows like without that helmet, he can't, he's, he can't pull it off yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the best, oh, my favorite Ray, one of my favorite Ray moments. Oh, when, yes. uh, Kylo Ren has left to go and tell uh, Snokes like, Hey, she resisted my ability to read her mind. She's clearly force sensitive. What do I do? 
And while Kylo Ren is gone, Rey messes around with the Jedi mind trick initially with no success and she's there like you will put your gun down and let me out of the cell and leave the cell unlocked and the stormtrooper's just like i'm gonna tighten your restraints <laughs> and she she just keeps trying it she's like you will and eventually he does succumb did you see mm. the thing today that apparently that stormtrooper is daniel craig yes there's a <laughs> load of weird cameos in this film daniel craig is that stormtrooper Wow. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so like, I've seen, like, literally everybody I've seen that talked about that has kind of gone like, oh, I didn't see that coming at all. Like, no. if, if they hadn't mentioned that, I could see that no. means this kind of hidden thing. As, as I understand it, a lot of this is the same sort of reason that Sam L. Jackson is in the original trilogy. There were a lot of people that wanted a cameo in Star Wars, and they were like, right, we'll stick you in a Stormtrooper suit. We'll stick you in one. We'll give you, like, a muffled line in the movie. You can be in Star Wars. Mm. And I, I really like that, that they don't even make a big deal out of it. They're just like, oh, yeah, that was Daniel Craig in there. Yeah, yeah, I um, like it. So Ray gets away and she's very quickly developing her powers incredibly fast. I think this lends to the theory a lot of people have that she has already been force trained and that this has yeah. been wiped from her mind. It feels like it. Like, to me, the scene where she's trying to do the mind trick. yeah. It does feel as if she's kind of like... She, she, it's almost like muscle memory. Yeah. Like, I feel I should not have to do this. Yeah, like, the, the fact that Ray is trying to use a thing that she's never been shown on screen by a Jedi definitely suggests that she's had training and it's somewhere in her head. Yeah. yeah. See, I feel like this film in general kind of goes more with the original trilogy and how it... Um, how it views the Force in that I'm thinking back to in A New Hope when Luke is kind of training with the targeting remote. Mm. It's very like Obi Wan's very much like just you know feel it, go with what feels yes. right. Which is versus um, the prequels, which is very much you know here is the Jedi school, here is learning techniques. Well, you say that Luke has gone and done a Jedi school. That's true, <laughs> but. But it's, it's just it, it feels like it's more for like the the Jedi mentality that needs to be taught rather than necessarily the active. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of the stuff to do with the skills, but um, yeah, it's definitely. I I feel like Ray has some knowledge of the Force, even if she doesn't remember having such. Um, so Ray breaks out and she bumps into Finn and Han and Chewie, <laughs> who've come here on the Falcon to shut down the uh, the shields on the big Death the death planet that they're going to destroy. Not the death star. No, the the, the, the death planet that consumes stars. <laughs> like, it consumes stars, but it's not the death star. Yeah, um, <laughs> and the reason that Finn is there is Finn lies and basically says, hey, I know how to shut down the shields. I, w- I was there. I, was, I, I wasn't one of the resistance. And... Uh, it turns out he worked in sanitation. He has no idea how to <laughs> shut the things down. But he's like, I want to. I want to save Ray. Ray is awesome. Uh, yeah, I I like that. That was kind of like. A, I like that. That was kind of like a development of his character in that he is there for Ray. Not even yeah. that he's like, oh, I'm here for the you know resistance. I'm here to kind of do the right things. Like, no, I I want to and help Ray. Ray it, helped it, me. It I doesn't feel rem- It doesn't feel like it's romantically or necessarily romantic either. No, it I feels did like, not get romantic vibes. Yeah, it's like no, this is. She saved my ass and she's like been really just like remarkable. I feel like I owe it to her to save her this this time to yeah. get her out of here. 
Um, particularly after I've lied to her for like yeah. three quarters of this film. I do love when Han's like, hey, women will always find out that you're lying. That's just like, okay, go Han. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that's like the film does so well, which is there has been a large gap of time since we've last seen these characters. Yeah. So it's like, here's a quick little kind of uh, yeah, uh, it's, hint at kind of it's, uh, yeah. personalities and history and things that we've uh, yeah. Well, like it hints a lot at like, well, is that a big part of your breakout with Leia? <laughs> yeah. uh, that uh, women always find out when you've been lying? <laughs> exactly. That's what I um, thought as well. It was yeah. kind of like, hmm, did that end up yeah. being your downfall in oh, the relationship? Um, so Finn's like found his way into the base and they find Captain Phasma and we get the very brief second scene with Phasma where it's basically, ha ha ha, I'm going to drop you in a trash compactor shoot. Um, You're like, hey, after... remember that? <laughs> yeah, remember that was the thing in the first trilogy, uh, the, the trash compactor. And then, um, yeah, Phasma takes down the shields, or at least um, the the beginning shields. Um, so and... do, do you think that the lack of a scene showing what happens to Phasma is because they want the freedom to have her turn up in the next film and not have us being like, hey, how did she get out of, you know, this yes. and that? I, I feel like that's a lot of it is they left it mysterious so yeah. they can be like Phasma's just back now when we don't yeah. have to ask, answer kind of like how at the end of A New Hope Vader kind of ricochets off into space in a TIE fighter and then it Empire yeah. Strikes Back he's back yeah, we, exactly. don't, we don't need to see how he got rescued from the middle of space yeah because we yeah we don't we see assume. the specifics we can make assumptions yeah. um, so he's Finn's managed to take down the shields and he gets to Rey and gives Rey the lightsaber and um, I'm trying to remember at this point what do Finn and Rey do between this and getting up to like that big platform overlooking overlooking Han survived uh, oh yeah we before we get to this we forgot to mention uh, Poe did survive the crash that's worth oh, noting yeah. oh yeah uh, <laughs> yes. R2D2 and C3, C3PO turn up um, R2D2's been inactive since Luke left which is really sad C3PO has a red arm and we have no idea why um, <laughs> so there's that yeah see I thought that C3PO was used very well in that sense because like I He's, he's used as tension-breaking comic relief. Yeah, like, it, they used him well. Like, again, I'm thinking mm. they used him in the way that Jar Jar was not used well, which is that mm. Jar Jar was inserted into almost every single scene that he was in the general area for, which kind of killed a lot of interesting moments. But here, yeah. 3PO is just... It's not like, you know, when they're on Jakku, 3PO is blundering around in the background. It's like he's there... And it's funny, and we remember him, and he's just as we remember, and then it's like, okay, now back to the main storyline. Yeah. Still Miss Jar Jar. I, I, I like that C-3PO, he's used very sparingly to be like, it's about to get too heavy for a second, 3PO's gonna break up the moment, and we still get the knowing look where it's like, okay, we're not gonna have this, like, sad, but we, the, yeah. we're sharing the look, and C-3PO's at the scene, and we barely see him again. Mm. And I think his minimal use was really smart. Yeah, um, I agree. So from there, we realise that all the X-Wings that Poe and Co are flying can't destroy the, the planetary core as they had hoped because they can't get into where they need to get into to destroy the stuff. Um, yeah. 
And at this point, Han and Chewie go to set off a bunch of explosives. Yeah. Like, I, I have to imagine this is a callback to Return of the Jedi, mm. with Lando's kind of, the shield's still up, we can't get in the second Death yes. Star. And, you know, it's... Han will come through. Let's wait for Han. Yeah, and that's mm. what happens. Is Han and Chewie are like, right, we are going to go, like, take some explosives, blow this stuff up. You two get out of here. And Finn and Rey run off to try and get away from um, Kylo Ren, because... Kylo Ren is pissed and he's force sensitive and he knows where to find the the, the force users. Uh, so we get a bit of fighting and stuff goes on. Um, as as this is all happening, the, the sun's getting drained. And then we get the big scene with Han and yeah. his son. So let's talk about this bit. <laughs> okay, so Han and his son. Um, this is a clear homage to... Um, Back to episode six. Absolutely. Um, it is the moment where the father and son meet on the big bridge. They have their moment of one of us is, is has fallen to the dark side and the other one is desperately trying to bring them back to the light. And I think it's a really smart decision to flip that on its head. Yeah. To yeah. be like, this is the moment of... In episode six, Luke was able to convince Vader back to the light... This is a very different villain and one who, rather than seeing this as a chance to, like, I want to come back to the light, this is my opening, I can make things right. He's like, my father is here, I. this is my opening to do the one thing that Vader never could. Yeah, that's how I, I read the scene, mm. that it, it, it was kind of like Kylo Ren thinking, Vader kind of never was able to cut those family ties. Yeah. I... Because there's the moment where he says, kind of like, you know, I, I, I know what I need to do, but I don't know if yeah. I have the strength to do it. Uh, yes, which is clearly like, um, Han obviously is reading that as, that, yeah, yeah, he reads that the same way that like Luke and Vader would, where it's like, I know what I need to do. I need to come back to the light side. I don't know if I can do it. Uh, you're the only one who can help me, Dad. <laughs> um, and obviously Kylo Ren's side of it is... I know that what I need to do is do what Vader never could and give, like, and to cut those family ties. And as my father, you are the only one who can do this. You are the only person who gives me this opportunity. Yeah. It's, and, it's... oh, they go in for the hug and just Han gets stabbed. Yeah, done. <laughs> and done. It's incredibly quick and it was somewhat predictable and I don't know. Yeah, I, so mm. we talked about this, didn't we? The, yeah, we, we even don't. Even going into the film, we were thinking, Han is we, probably, well, we even we, talked about we how dis- we thought we yeah. we, we discussed this leading up to the film and I don't know whether it's only predictable because we are the kind of people that followed the development of this film and interviews and things well enough to know that Harrison Ford did not want to come back for another film and if he's agreed to come back for another film, our imagination is that it's because they're going to give him a hell of a send-off yeah, and that this is going to be, like, the close to Han's arc. Because we, we were talking before, weren't we, that it is known that, like, Han... Well, not Han. Harrison Ford yeah. wanted Han to die in Return of the Jedi. Yes. So, like, yeah, going into this film, I think if you're someone who is a Star Wars fan, this is something kind of predictable. But as I was saying before to you, like... My parents, for instance, yeah. will go see this film, and I don't think they'll see that coming. Yeah. I think this will be a really powerful scene for them. Yeah, I think for people who've not like paid attention to Star Wars since Episode Six came out, this is going to be a really big moment. This is going to be your, maybe not to the same extent, but the Luke, uh, Luke uh, yeah, Luke, I am your father. Mm, yeah. It's that moment of, my goodness, that character that we've been following all this time—that is the case, <sighs> and. Chewie just loses it at this point. Yeah. I, I was wondering if Chewie was going to die. Oh, we, later. We, we both were. Because we discussed, like, if Han dies, 
does Chewie die? Does the Falcon get destroyed? Because we kind of had more visions of like Han, Chewie, and the Falcon flying into something yeah, to blow it up from the inside and not escaping. Yeah, like I think it was a brave decision for them to kill Han in a way that is not heroic for Han. It's, yeah, it's not, like it's it's powerful on an emotional level, and it shows kind of but Han. It's- Han's kind of emotional strength but it's not what we were predicting where it's going to be he saves the day and he goes out a hero he goes out someone who misread a situation and potentially foolishly believed he could bring a son back and like he died he died hopeful and Mm -hmm. he died like doing the right thing of giving his son that one more chance but it wasn't it didn't save anyone yeah well if you think of it in that way it kind of like went out being Han yeah, <laughs> misreading yeah. a situation and everything goes totally wrong. That's true. Han, Han, a lot of things do it's, go wrong for Han. Maybe it isn't appropriate. May, maybe it is just a lifetime of like Whoops. things going wrong finally <laughs> catching up yeah. with him. And oh, I, I think it was a really brave choice for Chewie to like go ballistic, but to not die and to still like. Yeah. Yeah. When he realized, like, look, this is overwhelming. I'm not going to throw my life away here. I'm going to get back out. Mm. The the Falcon gets away, and we'll get there in a second. Ray, Chewie, and the Falcon yeah, that's, is a brave choice. Yeah. That's interesting. And of course, it, it is kind of foreshadowed in the film. Like, Ray uh, is very comfortable on the Falcon. Yep. Um, she gets on as a co like one of the two pilots on the Falcon, very well. Um, she fixes things that Han has never got round to fixing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's pointed out that. Um, that Chewie's taken a liking to her. Like, it's definitely seeded to make sense of, like, she is capable of flying this ship, and Chewie understands the importance of her, but also likes her enough to, like, fight by her side. This isn't like, I'm doing this for duty entirely. It's like, no, I know you've got to do this. I I went through this with Luke, but you're also pretty cool, so I'm I'm, I'm cool with, you know, (laughs) running the ship with you. Um, Because we predicted, didn't we, before, that if anyone was going to get the Falcon, it would be poor. Yeah, we thought that that's why... We thought that's why Poe Dameron wasn't shown much in trailers and things, is we assumed Poe Dameron's not shown much because when Han dies, if he dies, um, Poe's going to take over as the pilot because we've seen him as a pilot and Poe's going to end up the new Falcon pilot in eight and nine. Mm. We were way off base. Completely wrong. But like seeing how it worked out... It it made a lot of sense. Oh yeah, Rhea was definitely the right choice for Mm. that. And sort of, we kind of skipped around this a bit, but there is the the battle between Finn, Kylo Ren, and Rey fighting with lightsabers in the forest. Yeah. And initially it's just like Finn is doing this because Rey's unconscious, if I remember right. or she's. I think she's unconscious. She's, yeah. she's incapacitated in some form and he does a really good job of fighting back. Like, he gets hurt by Kylo Ren, but he, he certainly gives it his all in that yeah. fight. Yeah. Yeah, that, mm. that was the scene where I was thinking, is he being guided by the Force here? I imagine so if he's able to keep up with Kylo That's Ren. That's what I was thinking yeah. as well, because I was like, Kylo Ren seems to be... Well, obviously, he's very powerful. We saw yeah. like all his feats of power and him showing off and mm. everything like that. And I was like, for Finn, who has just kind of walked away from being a stormtrooper to come in and <laughs> be able to hold his own mm. against Kylo Ren, yeah, it's kind of like it's, there's something going on here. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, and again... Our, our opinions on this film may well change with episodes 8 and 9 because like let's say that Finn is never confirmed to be force sensitive hmm. we might look back on this film and be like where did that come from that came out of nowhere and there are certain <laughs> things in this film that we are giving credit because there are later films to come Absolutely. Yeah. that we might change our opinions on over time but this is just just watching this in isolation um, 
In terms of this whole fight scene, what I think is really worth noting is how much better it is than the lightsaber fights in either the original trilogy or the prequels. Yeah, see, I felt like stylistically it was kind of in the middle, where it, it wasn't the kind of um, mm. acrobatic episode three overboard. Yeah, no one's yeah. doing like triple flips yeah. backwards with the force. <laughs> but it was more than the kind of tap-tap prod of um, yeah. New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't nearly as rehearsed and choreographed as the prequels. It wasn't as slow and plodding as the original trilogy. Yeah. It was very sort of like aggressive and raw and it was like... Yeah. It was... There was a lot of power and like clearly a lot of choreography behind it, but it was this like two people slamming at each other with like a lot of emotion on the line. Mm. Just sort of bashing at each other in a really it, it worked so well like yeah. this is my well, favorite lightsaber fights this film it felt like kylo ren as well with yeah him just it's, kind it's, of being like i'm not getting my own way let's just yeah. flame it's my, my temper around. tantrum versus ray slowly getting control yeah and like the, slowly fending him off like surgically almost yeah, there was definitely a difference in the way the two of them were handling. Like, how kind of interesting is it that Kylo Ren literally punches himself to kind of yes. fuel his pain? Yeah, he and punches anger? himself in his wound. It's kind of yeah. like, okay, that's a bit crazy. He, okay. he, he, like, hits himself to be like, I need to feel pain. I need to have something driving me. Yeah, so he, like, he's definitely pulling from the dark side. That's yeah. where all this is coming from. It's, it, you know, it's his pain, mm. it's his anger. Okay. Yeah. Slight sidetrack talking about episode six, a thing that I'd never really thought about until today when someone brought it up. Mm. Um, Luke is the is a really good blend of the light and the dark sides. And I never really thought about this because mm. where Jedi up until Luke have generally been like, you must shut out all emotion entirely. Luke is open to his emotions, but doesn't let them control him. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't shut them off. He acknowledges them and he allows them to fuel him, but not in a way that takes control where he's like, no, I know my limits. These are not going to control me, but I can draw from these emotions. Yeah. yeah. And that's really interesting because we've, again, here, what we've gone back to is someone who is only fueled by those very powerful emotions. It's like, I need to be in pain and angry and on off-the-cuff emotions to do this. And, yeah, seeing him punch himself in the face is like, that's, yep, <laughs> you are an ang- anger-fueled villain. Yeah. Um, so eventually, like, the planet starts breaking up because the Star Killer base is still kind of going off um it ultimately doesn't but ray and finn get away they get into the falcon and uh everyone goes back to the rebel the the resistance Resistance, base and at this point r2d2 wakes up is there a good explanation for why that's the moment he wakes up not that i have seen yeah um, everyone's... The, I'm just reading through the plot summary to see if anything jumps at me. The Resistance celebrates their victory while Leia, Chewbacca, and Rey mourn Han's death. R2-D2 suddenly awakens and reveals. So, is it just the fact they're mourning Han's death? And that Han died... Han died for this? Yeah. See, when I was watching the film, the thing that came to my mind was, is this because Rey has had her kind of force awakening? And R2-D2 is like, oh, I need to bring you to Luke. You're the person I need to bring. But then again, like, he's a droid. He's not connected to the Force. Uh, No, but... But R2-D2 feels kind of special, though. Because he's always had, like, a strong link with people. 
Unless Luke programmed him with some sort of um, specifications yeah. or like, you know, programmed him with some sort of when this happens, wake up but and what, show people where I am. What I also feel like is BB-8 goes up to him before he reactivates and I wonder how much of this is BB-8 basically telling R2, hey, your friend Harm just died for this. That, yeah. Can you help us? Yeah, that could make sense. That could be what those bleeps and bloops are, which yeah. would justify R2s. It did seem like a little odd, and I was questioning it at the time, being like, why Why have you suddenly arbitrarily woken now? But mm. um, R2 wakes up, has the other half of the map, they are able to go fly out to Luke, and the film ends on walk up a mountain, and here is like one two-second shot of Luke, where he's in his robes, he's got a big beard... And he's like, yep, I'm going to train you. Bam. Yeah. yeah. What a way to end that film. Yeah, like, what an interesting choice to have it so that Luke has no dialogue in the mm. entire film. Yeah, all you see is just his face as he turns well, like, around and it was like, right. We knew he wasn't going to be a big part of the film because he had been so absent from marketing. And presumably yeah. that's because you were, you were the one who was saying this. Do you want to say your theory? Um, that oh, yes. Yeah. I was saying that um, if... if my theory of why Luke is absent from the marketing is that if he was part of it and in the trailers, the whole Luke is missing, where is Luke plot would kind of fall flat if we were all sat mm. there thinking, we know he's in the we film. We know he's in the film. But like, when yeah. is he getting to the scene? And that's, yeah, that's a really good point, is that, like, knowing that he literally is the last couple of seconds, it's really smart for them not to have you waiting on him Yeah. throughout this film. So, yeah, that was, I think that was a really powerful way to end that film, is to just Definitely, be like... Yeah. We've basically, like, spiritually retold the original trilogy. We have sort of taken Han out of the picture. We have established a very strong trio of new cast members. And we're like, right, Luke is going to train you. Let's get Jedi-ing. Yeah. And, well, oh. it's a great moment because it shows that Luke has evolved from the role that Rey now has into kind of the Obi-Wan slash Yoda yes. role. Mm, like, yeah. I definitely got... Like, going into the film, I expected Luke to have the kind of the Obi-Wan role, mm. but walking out, I was like, he's more Yoda, I think, because... Yeah, he's the, like, shut himself away in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I screwed yeah. up, all my students are dead, because you know, <laughs> one of my students that's, turned evil. That's a really good yeah. point! One of my students turned evil, now because of that, all the rest of my students are dead. Yeah, like, yeah. I have shut myself away on an island until the Jedi finds me and like earns my teaching yeah, yeah like, oh. that's essentially well Yoda. yeah like that's one of the things that Yoda says is it's along the lines of failed them I have yeah like yeah. It's that's kinda, where yeah he, yeah he mentioned that he failed like Anakin yeah that's the way I took it to be that like yeah. Yoda and Luke both had you know were in charge of a Jedi school got all their students killed by one of their own students that they trained who turned evil. Yeah. And then they went off to live in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Now, see, with this all done, like, we've sort of wrapped up the film here, like, in terms of plot points and stuff. Um, mm. I think it's fair to say the three of us are all pleasantly surprised at how good this film was. Like, yes. really yeah. happy with it. I, uh, I I came away, we were talking about this at, like, three in the morning on our taxi home. Um... <laughs> I feel like J.J. Abrams understands what makes Star Wars great more than George Lucas does. Yeah. And I am like, this feels like I, I'm I'm very hit and miss with Abrams' work. Mm. Abrams was restrained with the, the use of his, his lens flares. Yep. He didn't put them on lightsabers. He was he's pretty <laughs> held back. And just, 
I I really feel like he understands what makes Star Wars great. Mm. Yeah. And that's really reassuring for this series going forward. Yeah, because the prequels seem to aesthetically kind of look like Star Wars, but they didn't really feel like Star Wars. I I don't deny that they were the story that George Lucas wanted to tell and that he had his writers created to tell those stories. Hmm. But I don't think that they were ever the stories that... I don't think their stories ever captured what made the original three so strong. And that's his choice as a creator. If he wants to create something that's more for him than for what the audience want, then that's his call. But I feel like Abrams here is someone who's come in as a Star Wars fan being like, right, I understand what Star Wars fans want. I am creating a film that is going to please Star Wars fans rather than I'm creating the film that I would most like to make. See, one thing Mm. that I think... That is a really good comparison in, in t- this, this new film with A New Hope and then what the prequels didn't do is that the prequels spent a lot of time being like, oh, there's the taxation of these trade rules. Oh, God. Here, yeah. is, here is the Senate and there is this trade federation and they're disagreeing with this planet Naboo. And meanwhile, you look at A New Hope and it's just like, hey, the Empire's evil. Um, and then Obi-Wan's mm. like, oh yes, back in the Clone Wars. Yeah. No mention of what the Clone Wars is. Yeah, and it allowed the extended universe to elaborate on those things. Like, we're gonna get the comic where it's like, this is the comic about Han and Leia's yeah. breakup. And... <laughs> so like, mm. I think what Force Awakens did really well was just like, here's the First Order, they're really evil, they're like the Empire. We don't need to see how the Empire turned into the First you, Order. You know what they did? They took all the stuff that the prequels showed you, and took time showing you, and made it part of that title crawl. Because what we learned from the title crawl was, okay, even though the Empire has been defeated, they still control all of the, like, communications channels and the way that um, media is distributed. A lot of corners of the galaxy do not know that the Empire has fallen and the Empire and its remnants are keeping it that way. Just because the Resistance has defeated the Empire doesn't mean that they are suddenly miraculously in control of everything and that everything's, like, not happened. We are in a space where, like... A new evil has started building itself up. The Resistance are aware of this and are working to keep them down. And, like, all of that stuff is told in the opening title crawl. That is all of the space politics out the way before you start the film. Like, the idea... So, we can gather from the film that the Republic exists and the Resistance is kind of a kind of unofficially funded by the Republic to fight yes. the First yeah. Order. It's their, like, they're like MI6 or something. It's like, you <laughs> exist over there. We don't, like, officially sanction anything you do, but you are a government sect, yeah. and we are like, keep doing what you do. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> how good was it that we we didn't need to see that? You know, yes. There was no, here is the Republic Senate talking about creating the Resistance. Here is Leia yeah. sneaking off into yeah. space. No, <laughs> we, we're, to- we're shown through actions in a way that the prequels were never subtle enough to do yeah because we we didn't need that it, stuff it yeah. gave the audience like the credit to be like yeah if we like show you this film you'll pick up what state the universe yeah, is in absolutely oh goodness so i totally get the criticisms that this is a rehash of the original trilogy i think it's really reductionist to just say it's that yeah um but i get where it comes from I'm very optimistic for the future of Star Wars in a way I haven't been in a long time. Yeah, like, going into that film, we talked, didn't we? We said, if this film sucks, like, the next film will probably be, like, another attempt that will try something different and yeah. what happens. But seeing mm. how good the reception to Seven has been, 
I would think that eight's just going to be more of that. Yeah, which like is fine with me. I I came out of this film being like, this is the Star Wars film I wanted. It's the Star Wars film I never I, I never hoped we would get. Yeah, like, like I, I didn't dare hope that we would get this. <laughs> absolutely. Like I read um, a review that said this is essentially the real fourth Star Wars film. Like mm, this yeah. is the real kind of sequel on kind of an emotional kind of level to what we got with um, yeah the original trilogy. And what I'm hoping for, like mainly for films going forward, is that like the points where we saw new content here were very strong. Yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping that basically like this is the film that gets a lot of those margins to the original trilogy out the way yeah. and like makes our transition transition to these new heroes and that we get more of that new stuff going yeah. forward. That would gel with what we heard while the film was in production. I remember there was mm. some quote from JJ Abrams about how um, this film was done in this way because he believed that people wanted kind of one last adventure with the old cast. Yeah, that's also your first adventure with the new. Yeah, yeah. so you would think if this film is kind of passing the torch, yeah. then like Leia is probably going to have a much smaller role in the next one. Yeah. Not that yeah. there's like, here. Luke's, but... Luke's role is going to be very different when we see him where it's like, I am now the Yoda-esque yeah. force, te- like, force teacher. It it's very much like it's moving the the original like the original trio to senior or lacking roles mm. in order to give the new trio their chance to be like now we are the band of adventurers yeah and I'm really I'm so pleased with like the trio of heroes we've got I love them all so much and I was really dubious going in that you could recreate the memorability of Han, Luke, and Leia as like a trilogy uh, as a as a trio yes I, I did worry about that as well I really feel like audiences are going to latch on to these three. Yeah. Like, this is three incredibly memorable characters, and you are going to have kids on the playground playing as Finn and Ray oh, and Poe. Absolutely. absolutely. And yeah. the people who have to be Poe have to be the ones running around, like, with their arms out, <laughs> pretending to yeah. be a plane, but, you know. <laughs> like we all did as kids with uh, X-Wings. <laughs> exactly. I am an X-Wing. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I keep being coming back to the fact that I was so impressed with Poe. Mm. Going from the trailers, I thought Poe was the most boring. To I be thought born. he was going to be a nothing character, and he ended up being like this smart, hilarious, really like really well built up in terms of being like a sympathetic character. Like yeah, his relationship yeah. with BB-8 in seconds is adorable. Built up <laughs> so uh, when adorable. he sends BB-8 off, and he's like, "Nope, I'm not going to give in to your." Uh, your quest- questioning. Oh god, we didn't even talk about Poe's scene of being tortured. No, we like, didn't. They get they find out from from Poe uh, when like he's force messed with. Okay, it's in a BB-8 droid. Don't know where it is. Like he was smart enough to send the droid off and be like, "Go somewhere. Don't tell me where. I need to not know." Yeah. And even though he knew ultimately like that information was going to come out of him that it was in a BB-8 droid. He was still like he fought to the last minute to like yeah. to resist mm. Kylo Ren. He fought his ass off to yeah. try and resist that. I'm like, oh, I love you, oh Poe, <laughs> Poe. Yeah, I like. I also didn't expect him to be like so in the film so early on. Like yeah. from the trailer, seeing him in the X wing, I was thinking, okay, do we meet him halfway through? And he's the excuse. For he's the, the first fight. of the trio we see. But yeah, like yeah. He, he's right there, like in the beginning. And we like, and Ray is the last. Yeah, we meet yeah. Of he, the trio. he is our he is our connection to the resistance, and he is this like 
hey, the Resistance are like well trained, they are out in the universe doing things, they know what they're doing and they will keep things secret where they need to. Yeah. Um, but Do, do uh, we have time to talk about theories? We have as much time as we want here. <laughs> because one thing we, we very quickly went over that I, I kind of want to touch on is who is that old guy at the beginning who knows who Kylo Ren is, knows who Kylo Ren's parentage is seemingly, and has he has the map to Luke. Is he a Jedi? Is he like an old friend he, of Luke? Uh, his name is Village Elder Lon Santeca. Okay. Um, I'm going to click on his Star Wars wiki entry and see what we know about him. Uh, Law Santeca, oh, everything's moved down, uh, was an individual who lived on the Western Reaches planet of Jakku approximately 29 years after the Battle of Jakku. Uh, he was a follower of the Church of the Force, an underground faith loosely affiliated uh, followers of the Jedi. So, he, he was a Jedi sympathising person. Uh, he, he's a Jedi fanboy, basically. Pretty much. He's part of a religion that are Jedi fanboys. Um <laughs> And, like, basically they're, like, weeaboos where they're like, I'm going to live the Jedi culture even though I don't have the Force. Um, He knows Leia's origins. He has dealings with the Resistance. um, And they were located by the First Order. Hid it inside BB-8. Kylo Ren killed him. That's all we really know about this character. That's interesting. Like, we know very little other than that he he idolised the Jedi... And presume my assumption is, through his through his reverence of the Jedi, he probably came into contact with Luke. And when Luke had to disappear, he probably was trusted because, like, you are not connected to me. Like, you are a person I trust who's not connected to me and who won't be just like suspected straight away. Yeah, see, that's yeah. what I'm now wondering. I'm thinking, did Luke give him this, or is he basically? the Jedi fan club that kind of searched the galaxy for clues where Luke is because... I... The, the fact that half of it's with R2-D2 to me suggests that Luke knew that someday he would that need to be sense. found. Yeah. And I feel like he left... He wanted to split this map up and leave it with... In places that he trusted. R2-D2, understandable why he would trust R2-D2. Yeah. He's got to find someone else who is very separate because the chances of R2-D2 and C-3PO being around... Han and Leia and everyone else we know very high you wouldn't be splitting those maps up very far yeah. this true. is presumably hey that uh, Jedi fanboy over on that that old Jedi fanboy <laughs> on that planet he was pretty cool I feel like I, like he's a Jedi fanboy like if I tell him hey the best Jedi in the universe has a mission for you I need to leave you with this and you need to never let anyone know you have it like I feel like a Jedi fanboy would turn around and be like Yes, whatever you say. <laughs> I'll do it. Don't. Yeah. So whatever like that's, it is, I'll do it. That's my reading on it, yeah. is that like... That makes sense. I can understand. He gave it to the big Jedi fanboy because he knew the big Jedi fanboy would actually be like, oh, yeah, I must keep this secret. No, must, no one must know. It does make me wonder, though, if he was eventually supposed to hand it over under some sort of circumstances. I imagine there was probably a circumstance where it's like, if if the uh, the Empire do X, and it's like, okay... Are we are we in threat? Yeah, give this to the resistance in that case. Mm. But like, not until then. Don't just leave it around with them. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, I do it, hope that like the books or the comics, for instance, going yeah. to. Yeah, I suspect the comics are going to be where we're going to get a lot of these questions answered yeah. over time. Um, so yeah, theories going forward. Um, I wanted to talk about mm. 
So, who do you believe Supreme Leader Snoke is? Yeah, Snoke is really interesting in that there is nothing to hint at who he is. And, like, presumably, he is the most powerful Sith. He is the big Lord Teacher Sith at this point. The big Sith that came up after after Vader's fall. Um, I have two theories. Let's hear your theories. My first theory is that... He's Darth Plagueis. The actual Darth Plague? Oh my goodness, if he was Darth Plagueis, actually, that's a really... Because... That he, that's that's a way amazing. to reference the prequels that doesn't feel yeah, really tacky. We know he exists in canon, because Palpatine yeah. mentions him by name. Now, yes. there is the whole book about him, which is now non-canon. So I'm thinking, when they were writing this, did they look at the lore and think, okay, mm. who can be the big bad Sith? He's kind of an Darth, obvious choice. Darth Plagueis is a really obvious choice. So do are we assuming that like he has been around during all six films up to seven? Possibly. Just kind of watching, being like, if my if the Emperor and like if if all the other Sith go, right, I gotta get back into this game. Well, see, we have the line where Palpatine basically implies that he killed him. So that makes me yeah. wonder, did either Palpatine was lying? And he didn't kill him, or perhaps he thought he killed him? Well, he probably thought he killed him, and then, you know, he didn't die because Darth Plagueis <laughs> managed to, you know, overcome death. That's what we're told. <laughs> uh, it's like, because Palpatine's line in the prequels is something along the lines of, um, it's unfortunate that he, that Plagueis learnt how to prevent the deaths of others, but could never present, prevent his own death. Mm. And I'm like, what if he could, though? What yeah. if he did? That... That's my theory. The other thing that... This is something that I... I like that theory. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I am on board with this. That that was my kind of gut reaction walking Mm. out of the cinema. The other thing I I have read, this isn't something I thought of, but I was was kind of reading people's reactions today, is that um, kind of the opposite of that, the idea that what if he's someone who's very knowledgeable of the Sith but has no Force powers whatsoever and that's why he needs Kylo Ren because Kylo Ren is kind of his way to use the Force... If that's the case, do you think Kylo Ren knows that this guy doesn't have the Force, or has this guy impl- like misled him into thinking he's a powerful I Force user? Don't know. I think it could go either way. It cause... could also explain why his powers, like why he's so kind of irresponsible with his powers. Because he's so haphazard. He... He's never had a proper teacher. Yeah, if he's never had someone who's kind of been like, no, you don't do it like this. You need to do yeah, this. Because mm. whoever Snook is, he clearly needs or wants Kylo Ren. Because there's a whole line where he's like, you know, right, bring bring Ren back. I need to finish his um, teaching. Like, yeah. It, he's not, Ren is not disposable. Yeah. This is, that is very interesting, actually. I'm very curious to see what they do with that character. Because, mm. like, this is the first time we've had a Star Wars film in which, in which Emperor Palpatine is not the big bad. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's actually really interesting. This is the first time Emperor Palpatine hasn't been the big bad orchestrating yeah. everything. Yeah, they did resist the temptation to put him in as a Force Ghost star. Yeah, know. we didn't get Force Ghost Palpatine, yeah, thankfully. No clone Palpatine like we had yeah. in the comics or anything. Uh, I, I'm also kind of glad that we were wrong on our like little bit of speculation. Is uh, is Kylo Ren like a clone of one of the Skywalkers? Yeah. <laughs> or it's I, like... I will admit that my, my main theory was kind of more complicated than the truth. Yeah. Like, I, I did think, oh, is he a clone of Luke? Is, you know... Well, we had our reasons to think that it wouldn't be the case, but we were on the money that it is someone from 
from Darth Vader's lineage. Yeah, that, yeah. it that is, is Darth Vader's that. grandson, so that's yeah. that wasn't way off track. Um, yeah, is that a good place for us to wrap up? I think maybe. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, unless yeah. there's anything else burning we want to talk about. No, oh, one thing I did cook on a bit. Oh, go, Mia, yeah. go. Uh, this is actually something that Retta mentioned that I then. The tournament of my head that I then read about today is that it appears Kylo Ren has Darth Vader's ashes. Yes, you pointed this out. That Yes, I did. I know uh, it's in the cinema. Yes, because we see Darth Vader's melted helmet. It appears to be resting on his ashes. Yeah, because his helmet's on it. And then there's a shot later on in the um, movie where Kylo Ren chucks his helmet on it. Yeah. And I'm very curious, like... My, my reading of that when you pointed it out is like it feeds into this whole Kylo Ren idolises yeah, Vader. Yeah, kind of like his shrine. Mm. Yeah, like this is I want to be as close to Vader as possible. Mm. Yeah. It, it's interesting because that implies that Vader didn't like magically turn into like just vanish. Mm. Like he didn't give up his body to the force when he was turned good. His body was still in that suit when Luke burned it. Presumably. Yeah. That is the, ashes, yeah. That's the assumption, if we're correct, that this is his ashes, is that that was his body. And if, if he's collected his ashes, someone must have moved in bloody quickly because ashes don't stick around <laughs> for long in a funeral fire. Like, someone has collected that helmet before it has fully melted, collected yeah. up the ashes, and someone... I'm assuming not Kylo Ren because of, like, the length of the gap... Um, someone, maybe Snokes, collected up those ashes and has used them to be like, here is your shrine, this is who you are idolising, etc. Yeah. yeah. I am very curious how the helmet and the ashes got there. Yeah. yeah. And my assumption, again, I think it's Snokes. Yeah. Whoever Snokes is, I think he went and collected them up. Yeah. I, because he knew I they were a powerful that. propaganda tool for the next generation well, of Sith. He certainly looks like old enough to have been around during that time. It's not like when we see his, you know, his giant hologram yeah. that he looks like a kind of young new villain. He definitely has that kind of yeah. like, also, presence. Also, did it take either of you as long as it took the idiot me to realise that Snokes wasn't actually a giant? <laughs> yeah, I was Because saying... I thought he was a giant. I was like, he is huge. Yeah. I've never seen him. I was like, is this, is this a perspective trick? Is there a giant alien? I was like, oh no, he's just... He's he he's so grandiose that he has made his hologram huge. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it did take me a while. It well. took me like two thirds of the film to realize that yeah. Snokes was not a giant. Yeah, because I kept thinking if he's so giant, why don't he just like squish it someone who in the? <laughs> yeah. But then, like at one point, something goes through the, um, the hologram. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh. Same. Right. <laughs> so with that, let's wrap this up because we've been going for quite some time. We did. Probably an hour or so originally. Uh, just say, we've done probably what coming up on two hours about this oh, coming wow. up on two hour long film. <laughs> so we've we've spent a decent amount of time chatting about this. I think yeah. so. Uh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Gemma did have to leave uh, due to some stuff going on about halfway through the show. But thank you very much to Gemma for having joined us uh, for the first half of the show. Thank you very much to Retta and Mia for joining me for the entire thing. Thank That's you. Okay. That's- and Hi. thank you everyone listening for uh, for enjoying us babbling on about Star Wars. We really like it. Hopefully you do as well. We know it's not perfect, but we're, we're bloody pleased with it. Thank you very much. Bye.